Now, it's interesting, we're in John chapter 13, and I have the privilege of saying a few words on it on the weekend of the coronation, um, because there's quite a lot of crossover. I don't know if you know Hinkmar of Reims from the 9th century, or if you've read... No? Uh, Well, Hinkmar of Reims says, a monarch takes on a role patterned after the divine King Jesus, who is the eternal priest, prophet, and king. They are expected to represent the truth and life of Jesus to the whole nation. So, that's a big one, isn't it? And, full disclosure, I I really liked yesterday's thing. Judge me if you want, but I enjoyed it. And I found it quite moving, because right from the beginning, when that boy came and said, we children of the kingdom of God, we welcome you. And he said, in his name I come as an example, not to be served, but to serve. That is brilliant. That is me trying to not cry in front of my family, and, uh, but because of the reminder of the great king who came not to serve, uh, wait, not to be served, but to serve. I had a real sense of the kingship of the Lord Jesus Felt really privileged to be a Christian. Um, And another poignant moment which links to John 13, quite symbolic, where the king stripped down to his nightshirt because he's a poor sinner like the rest of us. That's it. That's all he is. And any responsibility and honor he has, has not been, he hasn't got it by his own right. Um, It's a gift. So he had this anointing, this symbolic anointing. And, And yesterday he swore an allegiance to be accountable to the divine king of John chapter 13, which in God's sovereignty we've arrived at in our series through John. To be an icon of Jesus to the nations. And the hip, hip, hooray in the garden, don't know if you were still watching for that bit, that was the best hip, hip, hooray of all time. And, um, and it was a great picture of all nations one day going to bow and maybe not say hip, hip, hooray, but similar to the Lord Jesus when he comes. Um, I can't believe the whole world didn't become a Christian yesterday. Um, They should have. And even better than yesterday, though, you learn about even more about the Lord Jesus in the Bible and what he's like and what Charles has got to be like if he really is going to be accountable to Jesus. He's got to be like him. And in John chapter 13, you get to see the servant king that we all get to honor and worship this morning. If you don't worship Jesus, it's a great weekend to start. And there's some things in John chapter 13 which are just incredible about who he is. So, I wonder, that's my first question of the day really, how far we could test Charles's promise to serve us. So, will you oversee the nations and do good? Yes, but would he make me a sandwich? Would he? Would he do that? Maybe. I don't know. Would he itch my back? Would he serve me like that? Because I've always, you know, in the area where you can't quite reach, would Charles do that for me? Rita doesn't even do that for me. Uh, Yeah, I know. Thanks. Uh, In fact, at Christmas, she bought me that stick with like a claw on the end. And she doesn't even use that on me. I have to do it myself as well. So many evenings, I'm in the front room just doing that next to Rita. So, I don't know if Charles would do that for me. What if I walked through camel and donkey poo 
And then I asked him to wash my feet. Would he do it? Would he do it? What if I was his enemy and I was plotting to dethrone him and I walked through camel and donkey poo and still asked him to wash my feet? Would he serve me then? We have in John chapter 13 a character of another king, the king, and one that we should all adore and follow on this weekend of the coronation of kings. I read yesterday, today the king will be given the crown jewels worth something like five billion pounds. But first, he is going to be given, and he was, the Bible, and the words in the liturgy were, this is the most valuable thing the world can afford. So we're moving in John chapter 13, in this most valuable thing that he kissed yesterday, and we're approaching the last hours of another king's life that he's now an icon of, Charles. And he's done with his public preaching. Um, he's with his friends. And he's trying to explain the significance of his coming death to them. Because this king's going to die for his people. And he's giving them an example. It says in verse 15, I'm doing this as an example to you to go and do to other people as well. Because if other people are going to follow me, you've got to show what I'm like. So what I'm going to do to you now, this is an example. Go and do it. And that's the message to Park End in 2023. So, you know, we are to be mini icons of Jesus. Follow him, trust him, and be like him. That's the great calling this weekend. And verse 1 says it's the Passover. Now, the Passover, John bothers to put this in for the following reason. In the ancient church... Um, they were trapped in Egypt and being butchered and massacred and taken advantage of and exploited. And the Lord said, right, I've had enough. You're coming out. You go to another land. And so he judged Egypt. And the final of the judgments was God was going to take out the firstborn of all of Egypt. And to avoid that happening to you, you had to kill a male lamb, get the blood and dab it on your doorpost. And then God's judgment would pass over you. You'd be safe under the blood of this lamb. And from that moment, right back at the start of the Bible, they've been celebrating this feast every year because it matters to them. And it's a picture of Jesus, the king, who is a, called a spotless lamb, whose blood on the cross is just going to cause God's judgment to pass over everybody who trusts in like his death for them in their place. Okay? Now, here's why that's important. Because Jesus knew that the Passover was about him. So what's on his mind in this celebration week? His death. Okay? Now what does a true king do even in the light of that big worry looming over him? See, we begin now to see the class of the character of the great king. Because it's Passover... He knows he's going to die as the lamb that's been foreshadowed. And what does he do? He is full of love for his own people. Now that's incredible. I think that takes him up a notch to any earthly king alive at the moment. What would you do in your last hours? Um, pray, get drunk, cry, write a letter, sort your bills, um, steak and wine, KFC, something 
as it's looming. Here's what Jesus does in the last moments of his life. Um, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had wrapped around him. Um, now, these feet, by the way, they hadn't been wearing Adidas trainers um, like you. They had sandals on, and if you've been to Israel, you will know that it's dusty and the floor is dirty sometimes. And they would have had black feet, and they would have had warts on their feet and verrucas, and they would have trodden through the animal muck because you weren't going around on motorbikes on those days. You would go around on the animals, and you would have walked through it. And he washes their feet, this servant king. And not just that, he's going to go even further in a couple of hours' time and not just wash their feet, he's going to die for them and take death and judgment for them. Um, here's 1 John chapter 3. By this we know love, because Jesus laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It was very interesting yesterday that uh, our Prime Minister, Mr. Sunak, read a passage from the Bible to the nations all about sin and the blood of Jesus that is to be shed for sin. And it just went out to the world yesterday that sin matters. It's important. And it's big and it's a problem. And only the death of Jesus can help with it. He's going to wash them, their bodies and their souls. He's going to sort that out for them. And our Prime Minister read it to the world. Um, but, but he's washing their feet before he does the big one. And when he takes his garment off, his towel off, there, at that moment, there is no doubt in the room who the real leader is. It's him. It's him. Because we have a king, ladies and gentlemen, that some of us love this morning, who gets very personal with people. That's my king. This is what he does. He's not a power grabber. He's not a snatcher. He's a servant. And not only that, he gets very personal with unclean people. That's the king that Charles is now an icon of. And so I don't know where you are in life, um, where you've been and what you've done. But I know this. The Bible said, says that Jesus loves you. And if you are unclean in your soul and your thoughts and your lives, uh, he's the one who loves to wash and make you whole again. Um, Ed Sheeran, one of his songs I had on yesterday, says this. I've... Ed Sheeran is a pop star, by the way, if you don't know that. Um, I've been a liar, been a thief, been a lover, been a cheat. All my sins need holy water. Feel it washing over me. Well, someone needs to ask Ed to church today, don't they? Here's another one. Here's a, a hymn. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready stands to save you, full of pity, 
love and power. That's better than Ed. So this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is how he uses his kingly power to everybody listening this morning, if you want it. I help you. I can change you. I can wash you. I'm the high-ranking king. And I give myself as a gift and a servant to needy, unclean people. And then something interesting happens. Because in verse 2, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Whose feet is he washing? Coming back to my opening questions, his followers, but also the non-follower, the non-Christian, if you can use that term, the one who's going to betray him. And Judas probably loves this moment of having his feet washed by Jesus, who he hates. He probably loved that. And then it gets even more interesting, and this is another sermon that we won't go into, but in verses 6 to 8, Peter, who is on the team, doesn't want to be washed. Uh, he came to Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm going to do. And Peter said, no, you are not going to wash my feet. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Um, so that's fascinating, and Peter's fascinating, but I'm parking that one because um, I want to say this instead. What's the fush, what is the foot washing that the king offers people a symbol of? Here's the answer. Foot washing was a picture of being kept close to Jesus. Okay? Like daily washing. Getting rid of the dirt of sin and failings and all that stuff that keeps us from God and from other people. He washes us daily. Okay? So every day... We've got to ask for help. Lord, help me, I've sinned. And he washes us again, and he loves to do it. And he sets us on our way to be like him again. And he's an endless king of forgiveness and love and peace. And who's sinned today? Hands up. Everybody. The Christians, we sin a thousand times every day. What do we do? Resolve to try harder. No. We go to Jesus and he washes us and sets us on our way again. Okay? Now, Judas rejected secretly in his heart any washing from Jesus. He hated him. Okay? His mini little saving work for us each day, Judas, in his heart, he's like, get away from me, Jesus. Don't want you. Okay? And that's scary because sitting among us today in this church, we could have, or listening at home, people who look like they're in the kingdom, and they're not, because that was Judas. People who sit here and we secretly hate, we secretly hate the idea that Jesus needs to be our king and that we serve him and other people. We hate it. We hate his people. That can happen. It happens a lot. Ju Judas could receive the Lord's Supper and baptism and go to church yet fundamentally reject the kingship of Jesus. And so I hope that is not you in the room today. And if it is, remember this, Jesus is the one to go to with that problem. And he's a very patient and kind king. And he still washes Judas's feet. And all of us can come to him today. And it is such a loss to say no to this Lord Jesus and the example that he sets. So, I'm sort of getting to the end of this rather simple sermon. Friends 
Come to Jesus and join his kingdom. Where, this is the hope of church and the nations that Charles is an icon of, authority, any authority that we have today as Christians, flows from service to others. The one who is the greatest in church is the one who serves and doesn't throw their weight around. That's what Charles is called to be. We show that we depend on Jesus when we serve one another. That's our great calling today. Will you join the kingdom of Jesus? When Jesus sets us free from sin and selfishness, he radically reorientates our lives to serve him and others and enjoy it along the way, a life of service. That is power. That is power. In verse 3 it says, The Father's put all things under Jesus and his way and his kingdom. The lasting kingdom for us all to know eternal life is the one of Jesus-centered servant-heartedness. And that is the way. This is the way, to quote the Mandalorian. There is no other lasting kingdom. So I close with these three sort of mini points from this chapter. Number one. On coronation weekend, here's a warning. Ask yourself, who is my king? Who do I imitate and look like? Is it myself? Because that's a dead loss. Because that kingdom comes to an end. Because the Father hasn't anointed that kind of kingdom. He's anointed the servant king kingdom. Do I, is my king a celebrity? Is it Erling Haaland? Is it my grades? Is it my looks? Is it my health? For Judas it was money, and he rejected the washing of the soul, the washing of the feet. It meant nothing, and Judas's kingdom has gone away forever, and the kingdom of Jesus remains. Or will it be the Lord Jesus Christ? And on this day I resolve for him to be my king, because he's wonderful and altogether lovely. That orb that Charles holds with the cross on is a picture of planet Earth under the authority of the way of Jesus, the cross-servant-hearted kingdom, which we saw yesterday, to be accountable to my servant king. If you put Jesus as king this morning, it's going to be hard. You're probably going to be cancelled. They cancelled him. They put him on a cross. Uh, they spread rumors about him. Nobody really likes Christians, and we'll be losers. But, they're all dead, the one king still remains, and his kingdom is still going, stronger than ever. Make your choice. Caesar opposed him, and that opposing kingdom is now gone. When you think of Caesar now, you think of cat food, don't you? So he's gone, it doesn't last. The servant king lasts. Emperor Nero tried to wipe out the next generation of Christians. And they didn't like him, and they cancelled him. Uh, he cancelled the Christians. Well, he tried, and now you go to Elfield Road, and you order a coffee in Great Emperor Nero's shop. And Ben Ricketts goes there every day before work, and Emperor Nero serves Ben Ricketts tea or coffee. And that's what comes to all kingdoms outside of the kingdom of the great king. So there's the first. Who is your king? Make it Jesus. He longs to serve you. Second, 
on Coronation Weekend, take heart. Look how far the Lord Jesus goes for broken-hearted, unclean, fallen, distant people, messy people. Look at what he does. He washes them. He washes their feet, and then he tells people, to, oh, you've had the bath. You're in. Like, you know that moment where you just realize that Jesus is amazing? It's like the bath. Oh, I love you, Lord. He comes to do that to sinful people, which is good news for everyone in this room. And if you've fallen a thousand times last week, he'll wash you again this morning and again tomorrow and again all the days of our lives. And, uh, uh, and then the last thing is, uh, be an example of Jesus to other people. Serve them. Because the Lord Jesus in verse 15 says, I do this as an example. So the great call as we depart until we gather back for tea is this. My calling in life is not to hold worldly kingdoms with all of my heart and grip because all that's going. I'm to lightly hold on to them and be thanks for any things God has given me. But my grip is on the eternal kingdom that lasts forever and I have an unbreakable grip. And I'm going to show that by serving others in my life if I have the strength and energy the Lord allows me to do it. So start to realize you, like Charles, are icons of the king. Go and do as I do. You, if you're a truster in the Lord Jesus. And you have this little world where you can serve. And that radically changes people. And they in time come to see the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. In your pew next to you, and in your street when you go home, and in your family, and in your friendship circles, are little kings and queens who can flourish when they meet the king. And they can have the most rich, servant-hearted, joyful life if they were to only connect with him. But they've got this sin, so they can't see it. And it's marred them, and they don't realize just how kingly and queenly they can be. So, in you go. I'm going to be like Jesus to remind you that there's a king that's better than sin. He's put me here in your life to do that. There's this great verse in Micah. It's just when Jerusalem's about to be taken by Babylon. And someone turns back and looks at uh, Jerusalem and goes, in the King James Version it's best, Jerusalem, is there no king in thee? It's a very moving passage. Oh, think about what you once were. Now, in Micah 4, 9, I think it is, is there no king in thee? And I want Park End Church to go home and realize and say this this week. When you look at Cardiff, is there no king in thee? There once was. We were once a Christian country or your loved ones. Is there no king or queen in thee? There is. And if you meet the king, you're going to flourish and be the king and queen that the Lord wants you to be. So he sent me to serve you in any way I can. So maybe the answer to that will be, is there no king and queen in thee? Yes, there is. And this day, I'm starting a new life following Jesus. If you're a parent, you have to look at your children, what they're going through and say, is there no king in thee? There is. I'm going to serve you in whatever way I can be. I'm going to be like Jesus. 
Uh, the junior church and the big fish and toddlers and crossroads. How many kings and queens walk into this building every single week? Mini versions of Jesus who can come alive if somebody shows them in the way they live and speak about the king whose image they have been made in. The elderly and the sick. The non-Christians, why do we visit and serve them? Because we love them. And we say, is there no king in thee? And in your dying breath in weakness, you could meet the king and be part of his kingdom that goes on forever. And in the 19th century, there's a teenage boy called Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he went to church. And there was only 10 people there because it snowed that day. And he sat up on the back pew. And the preacher said and caught his eye, look unto Jesus. And so he did. And that little boy went on to be the prince of preachers. Why? Because there was a king sitting in the pew. And Jesus called him to life. Susanna Wesley taught John Wesley every Thursday night for an hour the Bible. And uh, she didn't know it at the time. But he would go on to be the leader of the great Methodist movement. Because there was a little king on her knee. And may there be many kings and queens in this City of ours that come alive because of the great example of Park End Church honoring the servant king. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.